0: But we're going to move on at this point and move into a time of teaching. We are beginning a new series, God First Supremacy. (laughs) I felt like there was something that was supposed to come after that, but I didn't have anything. So I appreciate you all filling in for me. If you got to ask God a question, you had his attention. For for like one moment, kind of like a face-to-face almost moment, you get to ask Your question to God, and you know he's going to give you that answer, what would your question be? Meaning of life. 42 is not the correct answer. Good. Any questions? You guys are, wow. All the answers and mysteries of the universe, you're just content with it. We asked this question earlier this week at our Senior Saints, and I was, you know, I, it was interesting because I was expecting to hear some answers. I was, I was looking for, like, why are there, like, why are, like, there more hot dogs in the package than buns? Like, why, explain the duck bill. Pl- I was expecting something, like, light-hearted. That's kind of what I was going for. You know, did humans ride dinosaurs? If you've ever been to the Creation Museum, like there's all kinds of crazy things out there uh, that we could ask God about. But there's a lot of really intense questions about the meaning of, li- of life. Why did this thing happen to me? I'm really restless. What was it? Scott was like, when are you coming back? Uh, you don't get to know because Jesus didn't know. So I'm sorry. He's not answering that. But anyone who tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, they're lying to you. FYI. That's not the sermon today, but um w- the reason I was thinking of this is because I imagine like imagine God had your attention for a moment, and He wanted to give you a message, a direct message, because this series that we're going to begin today is from the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews is a really interesting letter. It is a letter. If you want to find it in your Bibles, it's on page one thousand and one. Big, bold type Hebrews. It's a letter, but it doesn't bear any resemblance to a letter. Even on my emails, when I send emails to, like a cold email to somebody, I usually address them. I put their name in. Uh, I might even throw in, hey, I hope everything's going well, because you got to say something. You don't just say, I need you to show up. At eight tomorrow morning, right? You, you give some pleasantries, but Hebrews opens up with none of the conventions of letter writing. How many of you learned how to write a letter in school? Do they teach that kids anymore? Do they ever do letting, letter writing? Yeah. Anyway, to so and so, if they don't know who you are, my name is Jordan. I'm really great. You want to read the rest of this letter because it's also great. You add some salutations, some of that. I mean, there are conventions to letter writing, both today and in the ancient world. If you begin reading your New Testament, every time Paul writes a letter, there's a, hey, this is Paul, the Apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the church in Ephesus. You know, greetings. I hope all is well with you. Um, Continue reading this letter because it's awesome just like me. (laughs) Hebrews begins with none of it. Hebrews jumps right in. Both feet, boom. It's almost as if the author has a message that is so intense, so important, so supreme that there is no time. I don't matter. You don't matter. Pleasantries don't matter. You must know this. And what is it? It is a message from God to you. It begins like this. Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's a beautiful opening. You, you can really capture it. The, the interesting thing is I forgot my clicker. That wasn't the interesting thing. The interesting thing about Hebrews is it's one of the most well-written in terms of Greek. The New Testament, for those of you who might not know, this is just information, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and we've translated it into all kinds of different languages. But, but in Greek, this is just a well-written, it's a beautifully, it's poetic. And you can kind of catch a glimpse just in this first, this first few lines. You can see the beauty of it coming forward. There we go. Line one, line two. And you can see the connection, right? There's a time connection. There's a a message that needs to be delivered. And here's your messenger, right? In many times and in many ways, God has spoken by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken by his son. You see the parallel that's going on there. It's quite striking, quite beautiful. It's, it's a powerful thing to think about. It, 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 it boggles the mind to think about God who created heaven and earth and, and he cares enough about people to send them messengers. He cares enough about you that he wants you to know him. And in the past, he sent people to come and, and speak to you and let you know who he is and, and how to know him and how to follow him because he cares about you. But now... It's not just random people. It's not just uh, you know a shepherd like Amos. It's not just a. It's not just a school of people of prophets in, in a temple somewhere. No, God has brought His message to you by His Son. It's powerful. It's important to note uh, as well that when, when the Bible says these last days, it's just kind of a side note. When it says last days, we often, you might think of kind of um, uh, raptures or tribulation or maybe left behind if you think of those things. Last days in the Bible frequently, not always, but about 99% of the time means any, any time post-Jesus. So anything from the point of Jesus, uh, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, Anytime after that, you are in the last days. And that's important to know because that means that since you are living in the last days, that, that means that there's no other messages to be delivered. Like the finality and authority of God has now spoken. There are no more messages. So uh, this comes into play when we think about other um, other Christian, what we call Christian cults, like Mormonism, which says, well, we have another book and another word for you. It's, it's Jesus, but there's a little bit more that, he, that you don't know about that, that we, we've got to add on there. No, The, the word has been spoken. Or uh, other religions, such as Islam, which came about around 600 uh, A.D. after Jesus. And they say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a prophet. But we have another prophet. We have another message for you. And, and, and you need that other message in order to understand Jesus properly. No. What scripture, what the Bible is saying, is that the word of God has spoken. It is final, it is authoritative, it is done, and it is Jesus. It is Jesus. And we need to think very seriously about that. If you imagine yourself on your deathbed and you imagine what message you have for your family and friends that they've gathered around you. You've lived a long, full life. You have a final word to say. And you croak out in that kind of last breath, don't forget to turn off the coffee pot. Or, you know, you know that argument that, that we've been having for the past 55 years, you were wrong. <laughs> No comeback, right? I'm toast. It's done. The last word, finally. We actually don't have an argument like that. I'm totally joking. But, but you get the point. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, if it was the last word you have to say to somebody, you're not, it's not going to be a frivolous word, right? It's not going to be something silly. It's not going to be inane. It's not going to be, you know, it was really nice knowing you. It's an important word. You're gonna take that seriously and your hope is also that your hearers, your family, your friends, whoever's around you, whoever's receiving that last word, your hope is that they will take it seriously as well. Like to say that God has spoken with finality and authority and he's done it by the giving of his own son, man, that's something powerful to ponder. Something powerful to ponder. Jesus is the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son coming from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. For the law came through Moses, and we just spent 28 weeks laboring in it. Give yourselves pats on the back. We just spent, if you're new here today, you you might not understand, but we we went through 28 weeks looking at what Moses had to say in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a long time, but it's a long book. And I labored to reveal to you, to argue, to cajole you (laughs) into reading Deuteronomy itself because it's beautiful, it's powerful, it is a message. From the prophet Moses to you from God. It matters. It's glorious. But it was also written in stone. It was law. And if you've ever been pulled over, you know the, the law is not that flexible right? Stone doesn't bend. Stone breaks. Either you obey the law or you're judged by the law. And the law is a good thing because the law tells us something about who God is and how God wants us to live our lives. And and we need that. But that's, that's inflexible. There's no give there. And so while I know that maybe if you're new here or, or maybe Maybe you've been here for a long time and you've just been jaded because you know that church people can be kind of crappy. And you might have heard that we're kind of judgmental, and we are. And you might have met some bad Christians, and there are many of them. And you might have heard from me words that sound like, man, I see that that's in the Bible, but that really strikes me harshly. Words about judgment, words about heaven and hell, words of exclusivity. Exclusivity. But I want you to catch this. The thing I was just quoting was from the Gospel of John, the opening pages of John. I want you to catch this, and I want you to cling to this, and I want you to remember this, because all of that exclusivity stuff, we'll talk about that in a second, but I want you to hear this. The first word we have about Moses is law. The first word we have about Jesus is grace. That God sent His message in His Son so that you could see the very fullness of His grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The first word there of that gospel is grace, and we all need grace, don't we? We all need grace. We all need truth as well. That's where that exclusivity, that part that really strikes people as sounding judgmental. My, my, my thought on that is to say that it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from as long as you. It doesn't matter what culture you belong to, what religion you belong to. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what people group, or even just you as a as yourself. there are in all of us a, a, a good and bad. We, we, ha- we have a sense of of moral goods and moral evils, and we make judgments about whether or not you should do this or you should do that and One of the fascinating things this week I was reading a, a book that we 're going to use um, for a pretty hardcore Bible study we 're going to have at this church um, and I was reading through it and it was talking about the early the early days of christian believers and would you would you would you know this that the early Romans. So the, Jesus has passed away, and ascended into heaven, and uh, and the uh, the apostles are, are coming. The church is growing, exploding, and the the Roman culture around them turned their noses up at the church because the church in the first century was too judgmental. They were too aloof. They didn't go to their parties, and they tried to go and convince other people not to go to their parties. It was just fascinating to me to read this, because I hear the same things about the church today. We are also too aloof. We're, we're, we think we're better than other people, when that is not the case at all. We understand the message of grace. We understand we need that message of grace, and we are wrestling with our own flesh, with our own temptations, with our own passions, with our own anger, with our own issues. We are wrestling to get closer to this God who is perfect. And we know we can't get there on our own. And so we gather with other believers. We, we rely on the Holy Spirit. All of these things are, are active and moving. But let me ask you this. If God has spoken, and he has spoken with a me- through a messenger that happens to be his son, doesn't God get to be exclusive? I mean, doesn't the one who created the way things are to be get to be exclusive? Doesn't he get to say what is right and what is right? I mean, wouldn't that just, I mean, that just logically would make sense. The creator who made you, who made the way that life is supposed to run, and he loves you so much that he sends his son as that messenger, doesn't it make sense then that that messenger would have a message of such intense authority that you could know right from wrong? Just as a parent, as a child, like, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. That hurts others. It's bad for you. It's, it's whatever. This is the good way. We, we do that all the time. Wouldn't it make sense that God would do so by his son? Well, there's a lot that is said here in the next following verses about Jesus, about who he is, correcting some of our errors, but really expanding our ideas and understanding of, of the glory of God so that we might hear his message and be changed by it. So look at the next few verses, beginning with verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Heir means to, you know, you're receiving an inheritance. He is the heir of all things. Through whom he, that is God, created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's a fancy way of talking about Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father. Now, if you know anything about you know, maybe the ancient world or maybe you saw a King Arthur movie or something, you know that the throne is the place where the king sits, and the right hand is where the prince uh, uh, who is going to inherit the throne one day, where he will be, right? So this is this utilizing this imagery that the people then, and, and even us now, can understand. He is risen to the place of majesty on high, to the right hand, the power, place of power and authority, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, here again, this is, this is a very poetic sentence, these sentences. Um, we miss it because we're not reading in Greek, so we don't hear the rhyming words, right? It doesn't sound poetic to us. But it is a, a form of poetry, we call it a chiasm, and that is it's shaped like this. This is an ancient way of, of writing, and it was a way of remembering things. You, you, they didn't have, how many of you have a Kindle or a tablet or... You yeah, have like 50,000 books, so few of you. The rest of you must be paper people like me. God bless you all. You are holy and righteous and good. <laughs> they didn't have novels either. They didn't have books. They couldn't travel around that. So you anything that you heard, maybe on a Sunday morning, you had to memorize it. Uh, because you wouldn't have had something to take with you, and so creating mnemonic devices, right, ways of remembering, were very important. So you have things like kind of poetry, poetry uh, that that's playing on it, and then you have things like a chiasm, like this. And so you have these lines are descending, and they're going to be content, 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 and then here it's going to it's going to match it, and we have that right here in the text. So. I had to chop it a little bit so that I could fit it all in one slide, so it, you, you'll, you'll see that. But, but he has spoken to us by his Son, who is heir of all things, through whom he created the world. And he is the radiance of God's glory. You can kind of see this This is mimicking the same kind of idea. The radiance, and ex- expanding on it as well, right? He is not just the radiance of God's gl- glory, but the exact imprint of the nature of God. And then he creates the world and upholds the universe, And he is the heir of all things, and here, after making purification for sins, he sits at the place of authority where the heir would be, to the right hand, right? And then you have, he has spoken to us by his son, and he has become supreme. Like, he is the supreme, um, that's what I'm trying to get at there. The, The verse is actually having a name that is more excellent than all others, right? So he's inherited that. So you can kind of see the structure here. It's a poetic structure to try to draw us to understand The supremacy of the Son. The glory of the message of God. When we sang up here uh, the words, you are good, we are making a really deep claim. We are saying, you are good, and other things are not. I mean, this is a big thing. Uh, One of the things we need to correct immediately, though, is to recognize that we are not talking as our friends. Where are the J-dubs? Which way? This way. Um, would say that Jesus is the Son of God, but he is not God, right? We are not saying that, and the Scripture is not saying that. One of the two things that you have to keep in mind about the Bible is that it was written from a Jewish perspective. And the Jews stood out in the ancient world because everyone else had a whole pantheon of gods. You heard of Hercules and Zeus and all kinds of gods. And even if they had one that they liked more than all the others... They believed there were all kinds of them. And the Jews stood out. They were a bizarre group of people in the ancient world because they believed there was only one God. And that single God created everything, seen and unseen. Now certainly there are, there are things that are unseen in terms of spiritual things like angels and demons and that kind of thing you might know of. But they are not gods. There is one God. And so this is a very scandalous thing to say. Anytime you bring anything near to God in a Jewish mind is sacrilege. This is why very early on as the church was beginning, the Jewish synagogues quickly recognized that the Christians were saying things about Jesus that were far more intense and powerful than just he's the Messiah. They were calling him God. And so the Jewish synagogue kicked the Christians out. Call this the Jewish Christian schism. Happened very early because what we're saying about Jesus here is that it isn't just like some kind of second God, but rather it is the manifestation of God in the flesh. That there, are, there is one essence that we call God, one being we call God, but there are three distinct personalities, and that is called? The Trinity, the Trinity. Some of you know that. Some of you, this is new information to you, but we want to correct that right away so you recognize that we're not talking about two gods. We're talking about one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one essence. And if you say to me, well, that sounds really strange, and I I will say, great, we're talking about God. (laughs) If your mind could contain it, then we would probably call you God, but your mind can't, and my mind can't. What we have here, though, is evidence that this is not just a person we are talking about, not just a deed, but rather the Lord, Yahweh of the Old Testament. And we'll see this as we go. First, we see this He is the Creator. Jesus is called the Creator there, whom He created. Through whom he created all things. We read in our text here. Other texts, 1 Corinthians, for instance, says, For although there are many gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, one Father, for whom all things and for whom we exist One Lord Jesus Christ, through whom he made all things. Now this is an important thing. It is to say that Jesus is the action. He is the one who created things. By him, through him, for him are all things. And that tells us something imperative, something important. That means that if God is the creator, and he has sent his messenger, and his messenger is his son, and his son is the one who created all things, can't he recreate you? I've met several people this week who expressed to me a desire for recreation, that there is brokenness in our lives and in our families. And when you come in to sing praises, to worship this God, this God is the one who made all things, and this is the God who can change you. If you look at yourself and say, I don't like myself, I don't like my situation. I don't like my family. I don't like what is happening. I need something new. I need recreation. The God who made heaven and earth has sent his messenger, his son, so that you could know he can do that for you. And not only can he do that for you, but his plan, his plan from eternity past is this, to come again with the same finality and authority that he came the first time and to create everything new, new earth, new heavens, new bodies. You can have a place in that. That's a woo thing, depending on how sick you're feeling this morning. That's good news. It is recreation now in our relationships, in our lives, in our perspectives, and it is eternal life. That's what it means to call Jesus the creator. But he isn't just the creator. He is the radiance of God Let me nerd out on you for just a second to say that this word in Greek is in the nominative form which means it's carrying an authority. It's not a passive form, which is to say that Jesus is not in this verse saying he's like the moon where you have the sunlight reflecting on it. He's kind of radiating it as he reflects from, from God the Father. No, it is saying that Jesus himself is radiating the same glory that God radiated when he came to Moses and the people of Israel. As we went back to Deuteronomy, when he appeared before them in a, in a cloud that was so bright and And sizzling, it was like fire at night, and during the day it was like white hot lightning. And it would appear before them, we call it the glory of God. Jesus is the radiance, the splendor of that same glory. And what's really cool about that is the Bible says you're supposed to be like that too. After he recreates you, after he makes you new, what do we read? We read that we are to shine like stars. What does Jesus call you? A city on a hill, a lamp in a dark place, the light. You reflect, you radiate the glory of God, not because you're just reflecting that, but because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, indwells us and changes us so that we reflect the glory of God. Jesus is the creator and he can recreate you. He is the radiance of God. And he can help you radiate the glory of God as well. Not in the same way, of course. We aren't Mormons. But no one got that joke. It's fine. We'll move on. I'm going to call this essence. This, this word here that you can see it um, is that he is the imprint and this word is a word that is used, to, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but it's used in the ancient world. And it's when they would make a coin. So you'd have a metal piece and you would take your hot metal and you'd slap it down and make a coin. We pull through, we, we could do the exercise of pulling quarters out of our pockets. And you would notice all of them look the same, right? They are the imprint. It is the exact imprint. And this is a way of saying that Jesus is in very essence God. He is the very essence, the very being of God, even though he is a separate Person in terms of his personality and his work and his ways. He is the imprint of God. And what's really interesting about that is that we are called to be somewhat like that, aren't we? Aren't we called to follow Jesus? Aren't we called to do what Jesus did? Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Some of you knew that, right? If you love me, you'll do what I you will bear out my very essence. You see, what Jesus has done in coming in human form is to display to us, not to show us just God's glory, but to invite us to participate in the life of God, which is so much better, so much cooler. If you want to ask how much does God love you, he loves you enough to invite you to be like him. He thinks enough of you. Maybe in the past you've been put down and people have said you're not good enough, you're not... Maybe you have that, maybe even in your marriage. At some point, you have been told you are not enough. You are so enough that God says, I can make you like me. I can make you new. I can fill you with my spirit so you can radiate my glory. I can teach you my ways so that you can be like me in the world. You have such an amazing potential and purpose That is why sin is so dastardly. It's why it's so dastardly. Because it steals us with with lies and false hopes. And it feeds our flesh and our desires. and And it robs us. It robs us of the glory that is available to us by living holy lives. He's not only the creator. He's not only the radiance. He's not only the essence. But he is also the sustainer. This is... This is to say not only does God create the world but he holds it up. We've got the whole world. We do they sing that anymore in little kid church? I don't know, but we should. There's, it's kind of a goofy tune, I've never really liked the tune, but the truth is there, isn't it? He's got the world in his hands, and he sustains it. He sustains in this by his word. You might see this as a reference back to Genesis, which tells us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. We know nothing more than that. Just that God spoke, and it became real. And the one who spoke was Jesus. The word that gave life was Jesus. And the word that you have been given to wear is Jesus. Right? I mean, you call yourselves Christians. He is also the visible grace of God. And you see that here in this line. After making purification for our sins. None of this was possible because we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. But all of these things that Jesus is are also gifts that he wants to give to us. And it begins by his own will to be the grace to take away our sins. And so he is the authority of God. He is the final authority voice of God. He is the voice of excellence. He is the voice of power. He is the voice that changes everything. He is the voice that can make you new. He is the voice that can fill you with the spirit. He is the voice that can heal your soul. He is the voice that can take away your sins. He is the voice that can transform literally everything that is broken in you. Which isn't to say that our lives are going to be easy. In fact, nothing could be more difficult than saying Jesus is My Lord, because frequently we stand alone and the people around us are not saying the same thing, which creates a great deal of conflict, which is why participation in following Jesus is so incredibly important. And so if I could kind of bring it to a close and summarize it in some ways, I would say this. This is the imperative message that Hebrews is bringing us. It is bringing us a message about the supremacy, the authority, and the finality that God has spoken through Jesus Christ. And that carries with it an exclusive message, a message that in the pages of Hebrews sometimes comes off as scary harsh because there is a message of Exclusive news. There's an exclusivity. If you are the king, you get to decide. And everyone else follows. They follow that. And Jesus is the king. He is the final authority, the word from God. And so what he says goes. But there is at the same time a wonderful, beautiful bit of good news. Grace that comes from God which says, I lost my slide. There it is. There, is. there is room for you. Because all of these things are not just truths about Jesus, but they're also invitations to those of us who want to be called the sons and daughters of God. Paul stepped on my toes by reading my text. I'm going to read it again because it encapsulates very well what we've been talking about. So then, my brothers and sisters, my friends, we owe a debt. We owe a debt to God, who has done all this for us that we could be called his children, right? We owe a debt, and it's to live not according to our own passions and desires, our knee-jerk reactions, the things that we think, the things that we like, what we want. We have a debt, and it's to God, and it's not to live like that anymore, because if you live according to those things, that means that you have separated yourself from the grace of God. You have said, no, no, Jesus isn't my king, I am king. Or my culture is king, or what we want is king, or, or whatever. We have found some other thing to follow and to live our lives by. And if you live that way, God allows it, but you'll die in it. But if we are of God... We've been called by the Spirit of God, the third person of the blessed Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one being, to put to death the deeds of the flesh so that we can live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. And you have not received a spirit of slavery to passions. People who are enslaved to what they want, to what they think, to their culture. When the culture has a new outfit, it's a new outfit. A new song, a new song. A new moral code. A new moral code. That's slavery. No, you belong to the freedom of the spirit of the living God who has called you not to fall back into fear or sin. You have received a spirit of adoption. And if you've been adopted like I have, and brought into a family, and given a new name, that's a beautiful thing. And so our spirit cries, Father, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if we are the children of God, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, the creator, the rest, the radiance, the essence of the very essence of God, the sustainer, the one who's given us grace, the very authority of God. All that Jesus is going to bring in the kingdom is our inheritance as well. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. The call to become a Christian is the call to come and die. It's not an easy call. It's a hard one but it is one that is full of grace and truth. It is painful to become new. But if you want to become new, you can. We'll have our elders down front here. If that is a call that resonates with you and you need somebody to pray with, somebody who can walk with you, somebody who can explain to you next steps on how to follow Jesus, wherever you happen to be in your journey, our elders will be here. They want to pray and walk with you. Make your decision today. Let's stand as we sing.